The following program is intended to provide general information only, and its host, Tim Decker, recommends that you always seek competent professional guidance for financial, legal, and tax advice, as everyone's specific needs are unique. WHP Talk Radio 580 now presents Financial Freedom with Tim Decker from ISI Financial Group. A full hour of sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. Talking about This is your financial show, Central PA. Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Well, good morning. Tim Decker here with you. What a beautiful, beautiful Saturday morning. And as always, I want to say welcome and thank you for joining us here for the next hour as I'll do my very best to make your time that you are investing with us worth your while. Let me give you the phone numbers. Um, if you have anything you'd like to discuss with me, I would love to hear from you. You can reach me here live by dialing 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580. And anywhere else, toll free, it's 800-724-5801. Again, that's 800 724 Zero one. According to the American Association of Individual Investors, most recent survey is put out by Barron's Magazine. Twenty-eight point four percent of you all—that's individual investors—are bullish on the U.S. financial stock markets. Only 28.4%. Three weeks ago, that number was 44.8. So we've seen a sharp decline to almost half of you being optimistic in the near term on the U.S. financial stock markets to now only 28.4. And in contrast to that, 40.8% of you let's just call it 41%, are actually bearish. And then we have 30.7% who have the deer-in-the-headlights approach. They have no opinion. They don't know what to do. They're not willing to make a commitment either way. Well, I got news for you. If you go back... And I constantly am a student of financial market history. But if you go back and you look at the major bubbles that we've had, let's just talk about the most re recent ones being the dot-com bubble that everyone surely remembers uh, back in 2000. Remember in the 1990s, especially in the late 1990s, we saw large-cap growth stocks and especially in the area of technology, just going through the roof. I mean, there were years there, 97, 98, 99, that large-cap tech stocks and just large-cap growth stocks in general were going through the roof. I mean, we're, we're, we were seeing returns of 30, 40, 60, 70% a year in some of these stocks. And if you remember the sentiment 
how that built, everybody was talking about how easy it was to make money in stocks, especially technology stocks. Well, as that sentiment turned from bullishness to euphoria, which is essentially what that was, the market became significantly, significantly overbought. And what subsequently happened is we saw a major, major sell-off and bear market um, beginning in 2000 and ending sometime in 2002. And then we go back to the most recent bear market that we had, which was led by or was was um, uh, precursed by the housing markets. That's when everyone was talking about all you got to do is buy buy a home and then you can sell it and buy another one and sell it. Well, you can see a common pattern there similar to what was taking place in tech stocks. And if you go all the way back to many other major bear markets that we've had, even in the roaring 20s, which was right up before the Great Depression, and then the subsequent major, major market decline from 1929 through 32, um, right before that, in what was called the roaring 20s, you had the same type of euphoria. And the reason why I'm sharing these things with you is those are the times, if you ever want to consider being somewhat cautious, especially about future expected returns, it is during times of euphoria. Because the more bullish people are as a crowd, the more the herd mentality takes over, the more common sense and wisdom gets pushed aside and the emotion of greed takes place. Remember, the two biggest enemies in the world of investing are fear and greed. And this ties into what I was just sharing with you. When you look at the sentiment of individual investors out there right now, there definitely isn't anything anywhere near over optimism or, of course, not euphoria as it pertains to investing in financial stock markets, which means that doesn't mean that we won't have a bear market. But historically, if history is any guide, and if it's not, what guide do we have? But what we have seen pretty consistently is the times to be most concerned is when most others are not concerned, and the opposite is also true. The time to look for more value and the time to be less concerned and the time to think about better future expected returns is when most others don't want to buy and invest in stocks. So right now, in summing all this up, there definitely, most definitely, is not euphoria out there. There definitely is much more concern and caution 
And that, my friend, leads to much better prices with much better upside and less of a concern for those of us who are willing to put emotions aside and instead focus on the fundamentals and focus on the things that you should be uh, focusing on, your goals, your objectives. What types of investments do you own? Low cost. Focusing on saving taxes. All of these other ancillary things that can really add to your bottom line and not focusing on trying to guess what the markets are going to do because what we know is that no one, and I mean no one, can consistently in the short term predict what the markets are going to do. And if you don't believe me, you can just remember what Warren Buffett reminds us, and that is that stock forecasters exist, market forecasters exist only to make other forecasters such as weathermen and other speculators look good so again focus on what you should be focusing on and what we know is right now there's not a whole lot of euphoria out there which for those of us who are looking to invest and add to our investments either through new cash or rebalancing based on your goals and your objectives in the near term anyway it doesn't look like there's a whole lot to fear okay we're going to take our first break when we come back we'll pick right back up if you would like to speak with me anything you'd like to ask of me i'd love to hear from you 717-540-0580 or 800-724-5801 or you can shoot me an email live if you're phone shy at ffradio at comcast.net. That's FF as in financial freedom, ffradio at comcast.net. I'm Tim Decker, and this is Financial Freedom. If you have a question about your finances or your financial future, give us a call right now at 540-0580, providing you with the information and answers to gain your financial independence. This is Financial Freedom on WHP 580. Once again, here's Tim Decker. Welcome back. Financial Freedom on this sweltery, soon-to-be Saturday afternoon here in south-central Pennsylvania. Uh, hopefully you're going to be able to find some time to find some cool water to refresh yourself this afternoon. Before we go to an email that I just received, uh, let me remind you, if you've not yet done so, we have a tremendous amount of information available for you on our website. There's numerous articles that we regularly update that I have written and continue to write for the Central Penn Business Journal. There are columns on there that I have written in the past for uh, the Harrisburg paper. And uh, we also have a free e-newsletter. All we need is your email address. So if you have not yet done so, go to our website right there on the homepage towards the bottom there. Uh, all we need is your email address, and we will make sure that you receive our monthly insights and education different articles and we also typically have a monthly 
video blog that we send out, which are uh, very, very educational as well. So our website address is isifinancialgroup.com. That's isifinancialgroup.com. Okay, I just got an email during the break from Mike, and the question for Mike is, what is your opinion on REITs, both domestic and international? Well, first of all, for the benefit of everyone, let me define what a REIT is. It's spelled R-E-I-T, and it stands for Real Estate Investment Trust. And essentially, a Real Estate Investment Trust, or a REIT, is an investment company that owns and invests directly in many different types of real estate properties. Uh, the most well-known ones will include commercial real estate, but will also include things such as apartment complexes, and uh, some of them even have storage facilities in them. But essentially, it's a diversified portfolio investing directly in different types of real estate properties. My opinion. My opinion is as an asset class, I think they definitely should be part of almost everyone's portfolio. In our clients' portfolios, we have global exposure, meaning we own some U.S. as well as some international REITs as part of their equity positions. And we typically will have about 10% of the equity allocations in REITs. Now, with that being said, as an asset class, I am a fan of those. However, I am not a fan of certain vehicles that invest in REITs. Let me tell you what those are. Those are what are considered highly expensive, non-public traded REITs. These are investments that are not bought, they are sold. These are sold by commission salespeople who make lucrative commissions off these non-publicly traded REITs. And when I say they're non-public, what that means is unlike a stock or a REIT that you can buy that is publicly traded, meaning that you can buy and sell it throughout the day, just like a stock, these non-public traded REITs are not available to be bought and sold in the public markets. And the Securities Exchange Commission, as well as FINRA, over the last se several years has warned investors through investor alerts on their website to be very, very careful and leery of these. Many people have lost money in, in these. Many people are not aware of all of the high fees and the high commissions that are paid in these. So from a vehicle standpoint, I would not walk away from, but I would run from anyone, I mean anyone, who suggests or tries to give you a sales pitch on these non-public traded REITs. And the sales pitch on these by these unscrupulous sales people is 
the dividend and the high yield that they offer. Some of them in the past have offered yields as high as five, six, seven, in some cases even percent. And as is often the case, the salespeople know, especially in the recent environment that we've been in with very low interest rates and yields, people, consumers in general, are very hungry for yield. So what do they do? They roll out these products with the bait and the lure of offering you something that has high yield. But as you've heard me say on numerous times, numerous occasions, high yield equals high risk. And high yield or yield or dividends in general should never be the reason that you buy an investment. That is only part of the story. The other part of the story is what about your principal? I mean, if you think about it, if you put your investment in a REIT, a non-publicly traded REIT that's offering to pay you a yield of, say, 6%, 7 or 8 or even 5 However, your principal goes down over the years by 30 or 40%. You can do the math on that. Something that has a positive 8% yield, but a negative 30% on your principal, last time I did the math, that's still a minus 22%, and that's not a gain. That's a big hit. So, yes, I am a fan of investing in both U.S. and international REITs, but the vehicle of choice, hands down, are no-load low-cost mutual funds, such as if you're, uh, if you're a retail investor, Vanguard has some excellent low-cost REIT index funds. If you're fortunate enough to be working with a financial advisor that has access to dimensional fund advisors who we are very fortunate to have access to, we use a global REIT fund, which, as I alluded to earlier, has exposure both in the U.S. and international. These funds are very, very low cost. They are publicly traded REITs that they own. And uh, I would urge you, strongly urge you, stay away from non-public traded REITs. The horror stories associated with those is unbelievable. Because if you own one of those, until they're actually sold, you have no idea, no idea what the value of your principal is. So you may think you're doing okay, you're getting a nice yield, but most are sadly, sadly uh, disappointed when it comes time to want to liquidate or get out of them. And the vast majority of the time, the returns on those have been very, very poor. And there have been, uh, as I said, there's a reason that the Securities Exchange Commission and FINRA have issued numerous, numerous investor alerts. And there have been many lawsuits uh, 
around those. So, Mike, I hope that helps. And uh, if you have anything else uh, as a follow-up, you can give me a call here. You can shoot me an email, but I hope that uh, helps. And I hope that's a benefit to everyone else. Again, non-public traded REITs poison. And if you're working with anyone or if you've spoken with anyone who makes suggestions that you invest in in those, I would stay away. One of the other benefits of the uh, publicly traded REITs and those those uh, mutual funds that hold them is from a historical perspective, uh, they do provide some nice diversification. They can serve as a nice inflation hedge long-term because obviously real estate in general, can be a decent inflation hedge. But what's nice about these real estate, these no-load, low-cost real estate index type of funds is because they are so diversified in owning many types of real estate all over the U.S. and throughout the globe, you've got uh, – exposure with a lot less risk, substantially less risk than just going out and trying to buy real estate on your own where you are subject to having it in one locale, subject to the local economics there versus through a REIT index fund. You've got exposure in many locales, many different types of of investments, and uh, it really can provide some beautiful, beautiful diversification to your overall investments. As always, make sure it's in line with your goals and your uh, uh, tolerance for risk, and uh, it should only serve as part of your overall investment allocation. All right, let's go to the news. When we come back, we will pick right back up. you have anything you'd like to ask of me, we'd love to hear from you, 717 540 0580, that's 717 or toll-free 800-724-5801, or by all means, shoot me an email here live at ffradio at comcast.net. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. And 580. Welcome back. Second half of Financial Freedom. This is where I truly, truly do my very best to offer you straightforward, unbiased advice that is in the best interest of you, your loved ones, your employees, your company. And this is where we do our very best to represent you, not the interest of Wall Street. And I hope that over the years, as we have shared time together here, hopefully you have learned some things along the way that have been helpful. And uh, so uh, then it makes our time here worthwhile. Are you nearing retirement or are you in retirement? If so, let me ask you, 
are your allocations in line and dictated by your age or are they being dictated by your goals? And the reason why I ask that is one of the biggest mistakes that as I meet with investors weekly and many, many of you I have met over the years, you've come in to get a second opinion on your investments. Many of you at one point were handling your investments on your own and you got to a point where you realized that you were unfortunately missing out on opportunities by not having a disciplined ongoing management process in place and thus missing out on net returns. But also you've had many questions and rightfully so about your allocations. How much really should you have in stocks? How much should you have in bonds? What type of stocks should you own? Should you own individual stocks? And the short answer to that is no. But one of the biggest mistakes that I have seen, and I've been in the financial services business as well over 30 years now, is people have been led to believe this myth that flies around out there, and that is your age should dictate how you invest. In other words, when you're 65 years old, when you're 75 years old, you automatically should be more conservative just because of your age. Or if you're 35 years old, you should automatically be more aggressive just because of your age. Well, primarily who I'm talking to here are those of you who, who are, say, within 10 years of retirement or those of you, many of you, who are already retired. And I'm going to challenge you to think about putting your age aside. Just put your age aside. And instead focus on what your goals and your needs are. How much money are you going to need in the future? How much are you going to need this year? How much are you going to need next year? How much are you going to need 10 years from now as it pertains to making withdrawals from your investments? And that's where sitting down with a good 100% fee-only, not fee-based, fee-only advisor who will agree in writing to serve as a fiduciary for you 100% of the time and help you design a financial plan with those goals in mind will ultimately answer for you what your allocations should be. That is how you determine how much you invest in stocks, bonds, cash, small company stocks, value stocks, emerging market stocks, real estate investment trust. It's your goals. And we have clients, as an example, that are in their 70s and 80s that we have a substantial amount 
70, 80% of their monies are in a beautiful, diversified portfolio of global companies throughout the world. And then the portfolios that we build, our clients own as many as 14 different asset classes. And in some cases, over 12, 13,000 companies throughout the world utilizing institutional low-cost asset class funds. But the reason that many of these retirees, as I said, that are in their 70s, 80s, 90s, at times can have as much as 80% of their portfolio on stocks is because of their goals, because of their objectives. And you're, you're thinking, wow, how could somebody 80 years old have that much in stocks? The answer is very simple. When they have the majority of what they need coming in from pensions, from Social Security, from other sources of non-investment income, and when we sit down and we talk about what their future goals are, and they talk about their family and wanting to maximize what's left for their grandkids and their kids, and we do some estate planning and set up some trusts to earmark it for the kids and the grandkids, why would we want to let the ages of our client who may be 80 years old, be the driver of the allocation for monies that are essentially earmarked for their kids and grandkids and their goals and their objectives are many, many, many years into the future. You see where I'm going with this? So I see it often Often I'm asked when we meet with somebody for the first time, well, based upon my age, you know, I read and I've heard that you should own your age in bonds. So what that means, if you're 75 years old, you should automatically have about 75% of your money in bonds and CDs and things like that. I say no. I say Let's sit down and look at what your objectives are, what your goals are, what your needs are. Now, if after we do that, the goals and the objectives and the needs lead us to you having an allocation of 75% in bonds and CDs and cash, I'm okay with that. Because then the portfolio is truly the servant of your plan. Your portfolio should always be the servant of your plan. And of course, it's your financial plan along with your personal tolerance for dealing with volatility and risk. But I just really want to, to urge you, next time you hear somebody talking about or you read an article about, okay, now you're getting near retirement. That means, you know, you automatically should be moving more into bonds. 
Don't waste your time paying attention to any of that. Instead, let your goals, let your objectives, as guided by a personal, comprehensive, detailed financial plan, again, always fueled and driven by your personal goals and your objectives and your own personal tolerance for dealing with volatility, be your guide so that ultimately your portfolio will be the servant of your plan and not some random allocation just because of a certain age. That can cost you a lot of money over many, many years. And the, the other thing that's nice is when your portfolio truly is the servant of your plan, you understand, you grasp, and more importantly, you embrace whatever allocation you end up with because you know that you built that portfolio based upon your goals and your objectives. And as a result, you have confidence in how you are invested. And it is only that confidence. It is only to the extent that you have that confidence in your allocations as driven by your plan that will get you through the next major market decline. Okay, we're going to take our last break. We would have time when, we, when I come back for any question or two. You can uh, give me a call, 717-540-0580. That's 717-540-0580 or toll-free, 800-724-5801. We'll be right back. Sleep well at night financial guidance from an experienced financial advisor. This is your financial show, Central PA. Financial Freedom on WHP Talk Radio 580. Once again, here's Tim. Well, I was born in a small town. All right, final segment of Financial Freedom. Uh, if you have anything you'd like to ask me, you can give me a quick call here, or you can shoot me an email live, ffradio at comcast.net, ffradio at comcast.net. Going back to the discussion that we were having about your allocations relative to your age and your uh, financial plan, I really, really mean what I said when I was talking about confidence. When we have, not if, when we have the next major market decline, the amount of confidence that you have, that you are invested soundly, and the confidence that you know that your portfolio is prepared and is designed and is actually ready to go through the next decline, to the extent that you have that confidence is what's going to have an impact on how you act or don't act when we have market declines. And as I've shared with you in the past, historically since World War II or the end of it, 1945, we have had on average, which means it doesn't happen every year, but we have had on average a decline of 10% or more on average about once a year. You should expect a 15% decline about once every three years. And you should expect a bear market is roughly 20% or greater about once every five years. 
that's pretty frequent. And thinking about where the market has come, where it soared from the bottom here in the U.S., which was March 9th, 2009, where the markets have gone up four, five times. The Dow, back at that time, was roughly 6,000. We're now 24,000 plus. And we've not had any really major bear markets since then. We will experience normal, healthy declines over the next several years. And to the extent that you are confident, which, as I said, is going to be dictated by knowing what you own, what you're invested in, having a process in place right now that is ready and actually welcoming of market volatility, and to the extent that you have done stress tests, so you have a reasonable idea of what to expect, what type of volatility you should expect when we do go through these next market declines, that's what's going to allow you to sit back and let the markets do what they do, and you working with your financial advisor, hopefully, have a process in place that daily is monitoring your investments. You have some that hold up when others go down. You have a dynamic rebalancing strategy in place that looks to capitalize on and take advantage of market declines. Having all that in place, and as always, as I said, having that portfolio be the servant of your goal-oriented and goal-driven financial plan, those are the things that will get you through the next market decline. And if it's done properly, as we do for our clients, look to rebalance and sell things that are that have gone gone up more than they should often are things like government bonds during bear markets and stocks slowly selling some of those and happily buying stocks while they are g going down and buying from those that are selling those that are f foolishly panicking allows us greater value, allows us to have higher expected returns in the future. Because if you think about it, if you have a proactive, non-emotional process in place that allows you to capitalize and be buying shares of great companies throughout the world via low-cost index funds, or better yet, if you have access to them, low-cost institutional asset class funds, you're going to be buying more shares when they're going down, and thus when all of a sudden the markets turn and take back off again, you're going to own more shares on the way up than you did on the way down, 
And that is how you can make some great returns over time. The opposite's also true. If you don't have a plan, if you're not confident in what you have, if you don't have a process in place, if you don't have the right type of asset classes in your portfolio, when this turbulence comes, you you have no confidence in what you own, fear turns into panic, and you end up being one of those who sells to those of us who are on the other side of the trade and are so grateful that you're willing to sell to us great companies at great prices. So I'll, I'll leave you with this. Are you truly confident that you know what you own, that you're in the right investments, that your allocations are in line with your goals, are the servant of your plan, and do you know what to expect? Do you truly know what to expect when we go through the next market decline? If not, the time to address that is not then, but now. And as I've said, it's never too late to do the right thing. Take care.